this morning, as we kind of bring some conclusion to our message series in the book of Acts, um, there's only chapter 27 and 28 left. You've made it. Uh, if you've been reading along, you've just read through the entirety of the, the book of Acts. Congratulations. Good for you. Keep going. There's more good stuff in there. Uh, we're going to be kind of going different places in the fall, not sticking with one particular book. So it'll be a little bit more topical in that way. But for this morning's purposes, uh, I'm, I'm going to do it a little bit different as we uh, end things. Um, chapter 27, verse 1 and 3 is kind of setting up the rest of the chapter. And it's not just a day or two. They're, they're setting sail for, for Rome. If you remember from last week, uh, Paul was arrested and there was a lot going on and he had opportunity in multiple places in front of kings of Gentiles to share his story, share his testimony. But he is headed to Rome to stand before Caesar and make his testimony uh, about Jesus in what, as we've talked about, the ends of the earth and what people thought of as the ends of the earth at that point was Rome itself, where every uh, nation and culture in a lot of ways uh, had gathered because of what Rome had become. And so chapter 27 is beginning that journey, and verse 1 through 3 is setting that up, and I'll read that for you in just a second. I'm fast-forwarding there so I can get to this map. Uh, one of the names in that verse 1 through 3, um, Paul is making this journey with others. Aristarchus is the name. And I want us to kind of, as I read this section, put ourselves in the place of Aristarchus. Because Aristarchus was simply a, a guy who had come to faith in Christ in Macedonia area in Thessalonica. We were introduced to him actually back in, I think, Acts 19. Uh, when he was in the Ephesus, Thessalonica area, and he started hanging out with Paul, started doing some journeys with Paul, and Aristarchus is on this journey with him. And the beginning of the message, as you saw on the screen, said, has following Jesus cost you anything? And I was starting to think of putting my place in Aristarchus's situation he didn't have to do any of this. He could have stayed living at home in Thessalonica and spent his days there, still following Jesus, going to the church with these new Christians together. But he continued to journey with Paul, and that faith, that new faith in his life, cost him something. It, it almost cost him his life, as we'll see in this portion of Scripture. And I was wondering to myself as I, you know, think about, and because of the nature of the other job I have, I'm, I'm always reading, listening, hearing stories about followers of Jesus in different places. On Friday... Yes, it was Friday. I got a, a WhatsApp message. If you don't know what WhatsApp is, it's just another social media platform where you can call each other, message each other, do video calls with each other. It's one that I use to continue to stay in touch with people who are on the international scene. So all of the um, 
leaders of the EC churches internationally I'm connected to on WhatsApp. And so I got a message from our EC churches in Nepal, our leader there, and he had asked for prayer because there was potential persecution that was uh, possibly going to be taking place yesterday. I didn't get word from him uh, yesterday or today to hear how things went, but uh, I sent a, an email out to our uh, leaders in our churches and in the denomination to ask uh, for prayer for that. And, you know, that's just all the time. And that night when he had messaged me, he was actually on his way to a family's home. He and his wife, uh, his wife's name is Mercy. There was a couple with a baby about four months old that had just given their lives to Christ. And because of uh, a curfew, the government was putting in place, they weren't going to be able to come to church. And so they tried to get to their home before the curfew happened because this couple said they wanted to follow Jesus and pray. <clears throat> and so they weren't going to be able to do that at church. So they went to them. And I was thinking about Aristarchus as I was thinking about this message. And I'm thinking, I don't need to actually read scripture to know that it's costing people something to follow Jesus. And so as I read this story, I put myself in his place. If Ted was born in Thessalonica and a guy named Paul came to town and started preaching about Jesus and gave his life to him and put myself in Aristarchus's place and saying, it's going to cost me something to follow him. I was just talking to, uh, you know, we had our men's on the road with our men's breakfast and we ate breakfast in the parking lot at a pine grove for a hike that we took and because we, Nick had made so many sandwiches, we ate breakfast again when we got back from the hike. Those are good days. We have breakfast twice. A uh, young man there just talking about what it's costing him with his friend group since he's given his life to Christ. And it's really hard when all your friends aren't followers and you become one. Has following Jesus cost you something? It almost cost Aristarchus his life. The map I have is the journey they made by boat to get to Rome. We'll end up there um, in just a minute or a couple minutes. Uh, as they started, and you can see over here in Caesarea, this is where Paul was making his case. Uh, and then they just head this way, head down through here, and then they make it up to Rome. That's not an easy journey to make. And uh, I've... I don't know if any of you other Navy guys were on the Mediterranean, but that's the first cruise I made was the Med. Um, and we had some pretty rough seas in the aircraft carrier. People actually got sick and had to puke because <laughs> going like this on an aircraft carrier. Um, I mean, it can be rough. Now they're traveling in this little boat. Now that's actually a little bit bigger than probably what they took uh, from Caesarea. <clears throat> Uh, to get to Rome because they had to change boats, change ships. Um, and so that's, just picture that. That's what you're traveling on. We know there's about 276 of them uh, is the number that Luke gives us um, on this ship together. And so now you can put yourself uh, in Aristarchus's place as I read this and think about you on this ship with them traveling. Thinking about 
has my walk with Jesus cost me anything? Now we're going to do this a little bit different this morning because this is written as a narrative. It's a story and it would make a great story. I don't know if, if you've ever read the book Moby Dick or In the Heart of the Sea by Nathaniel Philbrick. He does a lot of writing about um, ships and, and ocean travel and stuff like that. And, and chapter 27 and 28, it's kind of like that. It's this great little story about this voyage they make from Caesarea uh, to Rome. So I thought, well, rather than just um, reading a little section here, and a little section there, the story is too good to skip any parts of it. So we're going to read it. I'm going to read it to you just like I'm reading you a story. So uh, you can follow along if you want to. You can just listen um, as we read this story. And it's just like if you were sitting at home in your living room, we were doing this with our girls um, and we were reading a, a story with them. Swiss Family Robinson is uh, the story we were reading. Uh, we just sit in our living room and read it together. And so now you can, don't close your eyes. I know what happens when that takes place. And if you're like me and you start reading, it doesn't take long for you to do this. Start falling asleep. That's a Rathman trait. It's in our genes. I don't know why, but it always happens. So you can follow along, but I'm going to read this story for us. And then at the conclusion of the story, just make a couple of points of how I see God showing up in this. And the confidence in faith it should instill in us. But the overarching theme being, if we were on this ship, would we have gone? Would we have been an Aristarchus and said, hey, I'm going to leave my home and hang out with Paul and almost lose my life? Has following Jesus cost us anything? When it was decided, this is verse 1 of chapter 27, that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to the centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramatium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. We're introduced to the party, going with Paul. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to see his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea of the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lucia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. It'd be more like the ship you're looking at on the screen. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sinaitis. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite of Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and we came to a place called Fair Havens uh, near the town of Lassie. Much time had been lost. And sailing had already become dangerous because it was now after the Day of Atonement, giving us the time frame, September-ish time frame. So Paul warned them, men, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, 
followed the, the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable f uh, to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both the southwest and the northwest. Luke is giving us lots of great detail about this voyage they're making. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept from the island. The ship was caught up in the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and we were driven along. As we passed the lee of a small island called Calda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandboards of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day we began to throw cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now remember, there's going to be, we'll give you that, well, don't, I didn't tell you, you didn't get to this part yet, but there's over 200 people on this ship. It seems like they're going to die. I mean, if you're on this ship, you're in the middle of nowhere, there ain't no Navy or Coast Guard coming to save you. This looks like in all hope of being saved was lost. Neither sun nor stars have they seen. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice and not to sail for Crete. Then you would have spared your lives this damage and the loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So once it was looking like all hope was lost. They thought they were going to die, and God appears to Paul. Verse 27, on the 14th night, we, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and they prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and it drifted away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. 
You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he had said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and he began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When we had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing all of the grain to sea. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and it ran aground. The bow, struck, the bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. Now just put yourself in this position of all that is taking place on this ship. And now you're on it, and you run aground. It's not like anybody's putting on the brakes. You're just nailing this thing, and you hit it, you get stuck, and now the surf is pounding the back, and it's breaking the ship apart. The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners. You're with Paul. You're Aristarchus. Is he going to kill you? So the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or other pieces of the ship. And this way, everyone reached land safely. The picture on the screen is just that taking place. And it's not like you're in a swimming pool and it's nice and calm. Can all of you swim? Imagine if you couldn't swim and you're just grabbing for something that's floating to try and make the land. Another moment where it looked like all hope was lost seemed like they were going to die. And then the soldiers probably taken out their sword. If the ocean wasn't going to get us, maybe they were going to get us. Getting ready to kill a prisoner so they wouldn't escape. But we read, in this way, everyone reached land safely. Oh, well, good. Now we're all safe and sound on land. Well, it's not over quite yet. Once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. I sailed past Malta when I was on the carrier. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of, of, brush, of brushwood and, and he put it on the fire. A viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds, and they said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. 
He welcomed us to his home and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed hands on him and he healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and they were all cured. They honored us in many ways, Luke says. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies as we needed. After three months, we put into sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putelli. There we found some brothers and sisters and invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as Forum of Apius and the three taverns just to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God, and he was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. The end. Well, it's not the end. Actually, you still have the rest of Acts 28, but that's going to be next week. That's the end of our story. That could go in as a short story of the tales of the sea. As Luke records that, lots of intricate detail about places they went, about sailing, all of it very exciting. It seemed like Paul was going to die here and his group, and then it seemed like they were going to die there, then it seemed like they were going to die there, and all oh, right, they made it safe on to shore, and now he's got a snake hanging out of his hand, and now they all think he's going to die again. There was time after time after time, and remember, we're Aristarchus watching all this, experiencing all of this with him. And I'm sure we probably would have been thinking, we're going to die. And yet, Paul makes it to Rome. And this great little story shows us a number of things that take place that kind of takes us back to the beginning of this mission in case we thought it was all going to be stopped in some way. Or if we thought, oh boy, Jesus is gone. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. How is this actually going to take place? God has this mission of redemption and Jesus has come to inaugurate the kingdom. It's here. It's happening. But now Jesus leaves. And what we've noticed through the entirety of the book of Acts is that God is the driver of his mission. And this story simply confirms what we've been reading about all acts long. Time after time after time, we see that God is moving in this mission that he said he was going to start through this unlikely couple known, Abra known as Abraham and Sarah and through them and through their descendants, all nations would be blessed and he would send the Messiah as the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. This God is in charge of his mission. And he invites us to participate in it. Paul was doing that. And what we've seen throughout this little story with Paul 
And as I reminded us reading Psalm 5, God is not exempt from his creation. He just doesn't say, okay, here it is, good luck. Not only that, but he broke into his own creation, the person of Christ, but then he left again. The disciples watched him ascend into heaven. And yet we see in the story like this that Paul is a part of, that Luke is recording, that Aristarchus is experiencing, God continues to intervene in human history. Why would it be any different today? We can continue to pray and ask God to intervene in human history, maybe in your own life because of whatever is going on, and you're asking God to intervene. Does he always do it in the way we expect? No. There's about eight times there that Paul almost died. It's not like God's intervening exempts us from the realities of life or sailing in the first century. It wasn't like God, well, here, look, there's a steel ship. Where'd that come from? He went on a first century boat that was subject to whatever a first century boat would be subject to. And that was pretty much, you were crossing your fingers every time you got on it and went somewhere. But we see in the story that God continues to intervene in human history. Over and again, we see that in Paul's story. Why would it be any different in our story? And what we see as God appears to Paul and speaks to him through this messenger and says, look, you are going to Rome. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going to get there. God is bringing about his purposes on this earth, and it's going to happen. Don't be confused about the evil and the injustice that we see and what it seems like, boy, the church is really losing. Don't be confused. God's purposes are not going to be thwarted. There's nothing that can stop this movement going forward. And we've seen that all throughout the story of God's history of redemption. We've seen it throughout the New Testament. We've seen it now in Paul's own story. How many times was it like, is Paul ever going to make it to Rome? And now even here, when he almost dies multiple times, is he going to make it to Rome? And I read for you. And we came to Rome. And there were God's people waiting for us, and we were encouraged. When you look out at our world, when you see things happening, don't be confused about whether or not God will prevail and whether or not his purposes and plans will succeed. Now maybe an angel of the Lord has not appeared to you, but really I think, and the emphasis I was placing on a group of people gathering for thousands and thousands of years to hear God speak, it happens to be through something we now call the Bible. Do we believe that it's true? And if so, then it should do the same thing that that angel did for Paul. Instill trust and confidence in, I'm going to tell all 276 of you, not a single hair in your head will come to harm because of what this God has said. 
We ought to be able to live our lives as followers of Jesus with confidence, trusting in what God has said. That is why we continue to gather and hear from his word. That is why it's so important and essential for you to open this thing up tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning or afternoon or evening or sometime during the week and be reminded of these important things simply from Paul's story. Sometimes we don't walk around with the kind of confidence and trust that we ought to as followers of Jesus. Because sometimes I'm not sure we're convinced that this is true. God's word came to Paul through a messenger. God's word comes to us through what we call the scriptures to, I think, do the exact same thing in our lives instill the confidence and trust we need in the God who started this plan. It belongs to him who invites us into it. And yes, as we begin to follow him, it might actually cost us something. And really, the story of scripture and followers of Jesus is it ought to cost us something. And if it hasn't, are we doing it the right way? Like I said, it's as simple as this young man who's telling us his story and his whole friend group is he's starting to feel really weird and out of place. And it's getting harder and harder for him. That's a big deal when your friend group is everything. This wonderful little story that Luke writes in this last portion of the book of Acts. I think even in narrative portions of the Bible, which is what I just read for you, as I said, you can put that in a little short story and it'd be a fun little story to read. But I believe it's conveying some very important things to us who are now living out this story. Maybe you would write a story like that. Here's what it looked. You're Luke now following around with Paul. You're the Aristarchus now. And you're writing this fun little story of ways in which, and if you thought hard enough, probably, God has intervened in your life. I could tell you times he has in mine and certainly some moments traveling that were a little scary. Not on a ship, in the back of a vehicle, on a Liberian road. <laughs> Wondering if we're going to make it. But Paul's story should be reminding us of something that's really important as the church. Especially the church in our time. Today. 21st century American Christianity. Facing what seems to be a unique time in history, I think. It's different than other times. And it's continuing to get different. And sometimes not in a good way. But none of that should bring any confusion to us as followers of Jesus about these three things that I have on the screen before you. The book of Acts should remind us as the church, God's still doing it. And he's still inviting us into something amazing. Are we willing to 
join him? Are we willing to pay that cost that it takes to be a follower of Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing story of your work and movement in Paul's life and the group that was with him, Lord. And I'm thankful, God, that you uh, continue to work and move in the lives of your people. It's not something that is just reserved for history, but God, you are continuing to intervene in human history today. And I, I pray, God, that you would do that in our lives today. I pray, God, that you would do that in the county that we live in, in this country that we're a part of, Lord. God, may you intervene. I pray that your purposes would continue to be brought about, and God, that your word would instill confidence in us as your church, that your plans will not be thwarted. There is no enemy, there is no power, there is no government on this earth that can stop the kingdom from advancing. And now we are invited to be a part of that, and yes, it might cost us something. Is it worth that cost? That's a question each of us have to ask ourselves. I would say yes, it is. And I believe, God, that you desire to use people sitting in this room to bring about your purposes. And I pray that you would, Lord. And I pray that we would walk out of here with confidence knowing that we can trust your word and that you would lead us wherever tomorrow takes us so that we might be able to point other people to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.